Today's episode of Transform Your Workplace is brought to you by Zenium HR. Learn more about Zenium's complete HR plus payroll solution at zeniumhr.com. Today's guest is Albrey Brown. Albrey is the VP of Strategy and GM of New York at Junco. And in this episode, we're talking about crisis. Crisis is inevitable, and leaders must prepare before they arise. And dealing with a crisis means you're dealing with the human side of things and asking yourself, how can you support your employees through this? So whether it's an internal crisis or something external like a global pandemic or a social justice movement, we need to be there for our people. And there's some really great takeaways that Albrey shares in this podcast today. So I hope you really enjoy it. I, I enjoyed the conversation. I learned a ton today and I know you will too. So enjoy. Make sure to connect with Albrey on LinkedIn and any other social channels. Links are in the show notes and make sure to connect with me as well. Enjoy today's episode and we'll talk to you next week. Hey, Albrey, thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, Brendan, thanks for having me. So there comes a time when an organization, they face a crisis. It could be something from an external standpoint, like a global pandemic, um, social justice crisis, like a George Floyd incident, or an internal crisis, like lose a huge client and it's disruptive, something like that. If you're a senior leader and you're in a position to organize your leaders, talk to your people, what's the first step you're taking in that? Great question. Um, and as you said, crisis is always one step around the corner, especially these days. So I think it's a really important thing for leaders to think about. And when I coach senior leaders and even as a senior leader myself, I, I think about being introspective. And before gathering everyone and figuring out a plan and understanding and executing on how we're going to address this crisis, I always think to myself, well, what do I feel? And really reflect on how I'm being impacted by this crisis. And you kind of mentioned George Floyd, um, and I can tell you a, a short story. I was at Airtable as a um, small startup that is competing with things like Excel, Smartsheet, et cetera, et cetera, back in 2020. And um, of course, May 25th, 2020, George Floyd, the response to George Floyd's death kind of hit an apex. And our employees were wondering, what were we going to say about this? And my CEO at the time came to me as the head of diversity and inclusion and said, well, what should we do? And I challenged him. I said, well, you know, Howie, how do you feel about this? And how would you want someone to respond to your feelings about this crisis? And he took a second. He took a second to, to think, to reflect. And we had a great conversation about the things that he felt and the things that he didn't know about how folks might feel about George Floyd. But I think what it gave him the ability to do was to be a little bit empathetic, to sit down, understand how he was feeling, and to put himself in the shoes of a human, which obviously he is. And it really changed the way that we might have approached that situation. Instead of being tactical and practical, it really forced us to bring the human side of things, which was to discuss, well, at the end of the day, what's the role of the company 
in supporting employees through something like this. And you know, speaking from a place of I, how does he want to be supported through something like George Floyd? And from there, we were able to have kind of expand that conversation to other executives and other leaders to instead of saying, how do you want to address this with your employees or your direct reports? To how do you want to address this with yourself? And starting from there makes it a lot easier to understand the second, third and fourth step in addressing a crisis, which is, of course, kind of that ripple effect from you to others, to the organization as a whole. So I always recommend that leaders really take the time to sit back and think to themselves, how do I feel about this before actioning on anything? As I think in the work context, we're always want to do first. I think what's challenging about crisis is there's no blueprint for it necessarily. You know, situations that may have come up before, maybe there's sort of a blueprint to, to follow. But in a lot of cases, we just never dealt with it before in this organization. And I like how you frame that up. It's like, get introspective about like, how am I feeling about this? And then ask the questions of your leaders. What do you think we should do? Because I think the flaw in reacting to a crisis is top-down approach where you're like, you make a decision, you move fast and it may be the wrong, may alienate some of your staff, especially with the George Floyd thing. If you made the wrong call and you alienated a group of people that loved working for you and and you made the wrong call, that's the risk, right? Or alienating your clients too, your customers. Exactly. Exactly. And you just brought up a really good point. You know, my CEO didn't identify as African-American. So his response to George Floyd was very different than someone who was directly affected because George Floyd was obviously a part of their community. And the conversation we had after he was introspective, he thought about himself, allowed us to step outside of how he felt and started to step inside about how other folks felt, which then allows us together as a team to meet the folks who are directly affected where they are and ask the question, how can we support? So you're right. I mean, that first instinct as a leader is to just go for it to be agile, to be nimble, and to act quickly. But often when it comes to crisis, taking a deep breath and slowing down so that you can speed up faster allows you to avoid those critical mistakes like alienating groups or alienating people because you didn't take a beat just to understand, well, what am I feeling in this moment? What's the balance of bringing your leaders together, asking them questions? And maybe you have specific questions that you'd ask in in a time of crisis to just see how people are feeling, but then even to bring it to the employees to get a pulse check on how they're feeling about the situation. How do you incorporate those, those groups? Great question. I think that's actually step number two. So as you bring 2.5, as you use as a moment to understand how you're feeling, then use as a moment to understand how your leadership team is feeling. I think the next step that leaders typically take is like, okay, now we can roll this out to the organization as a whole. But there's one small step in there that you kind of mentioned that is even more important than rolling it out to the organization as a whole, which is to identify who is most affected. Who are the groups and the groups of people who might be, you know, who this affects on the day-to-day, the day-to-day life? right? Not just within the organization, but outside of the organization and going and asking them for wise counsel and not in a way that is pushy or feels authoritative, but really going and extending an olive branch to say, you know, we want to set up a conversation to where we're just listening, where we're asking you, for example, when abortion rates were under attack earlier this year, 
And no matter your politics on abortion rights, it affected certain people in certain ways, but it definitely affected women, no matter what part of the fence that you were on. Something I challenged leaders that I was, myself and leaders I was consulting is, hey, so how do the women in your organization feel about this? And have you had and set up a conversation between the women in your organization who are willing to have that conversation and your leadership team so that you can come to some sort of better understanding of how they're feeling. Because at the end of the day, that's the group that is going to be living this on a day-to-day basis. So going and taking a step back for yourself, talking to your leadership team to align, and then bringing in folks who you may not have even, especially in a remote environment, been able to have a conversation about work with in a while and say, hey, we know that this thing is happening. Obviously, we have our own opinion on how we should address it. But it's most important that you know that you're supported. And it's most important that we understand how you want to be supported so that one, we can do that as a company. And two, we can educate folks who may not have to live this on a day-to-day basis on ways that they can support you moving forward. At the end of the day, supporting employees through a crisis is two-pronged. First, it's the folks who need to be supported and the supportees. In diversity and inclusion work, right, these are the folks who are affected and these are the allies. So understanding what the folks that are affected need and then using that conversation and using that understanding to direct the allies in a way that is that you know is going to be the best for the folks who are affected, that's the goal at the end of the day. And without having that conversation with the folks who are affected, you're kind of leaving a lot of information and understanding on the table that might lead you in the wrong direction. So some things that we heard when abortion rights were kind of in flux was how can we as a company start to support women who might need abortions? How can we have a frank conversation between folks who are on either side of the fence in the workplace so that we can all kind of get this out on the table in a safe way? Can we bring in a reproductive rights organization to come talk to us about how these things might affect women moving forward? And those are ideas that we just honestly didn't have outside of sending out an email saying that we know this exists and we know that for some folks it's going to be really difficult. And that really gave us the information that we needed to provide that extra support. And it just really came down to being courageous enough to ask the folks who are affected what they needed. I like the way you put it too. And if you can't have the conversation, you don't ask the question, how would you be able to take action? You're not going to have any information. And so you're going to make it a decision in a vacuum or worse, you do nothing. Exactly. And to your point, and I like the emphasis that you put on nothing, nothing is worth than something, but something and energy directed in the wrong direction actually ends up being worse. And at least from what I've seen, ends up being worse. So one thing that I talk with, especially because a lot of founders and executives are very product focused, they're very product and sales focused, and they focus on their customers. Your employees are your customers. They are. They're customers of the business. And if you treat employees as you would your customers, the outcomes that you'll see when you're addressing things like crisis are going to be much, much, much different and much more effective because you started to do that research and treated them like they were customers of yours. Who's at the table? And it probably depends on the size of the organization, what kind of roles you have, but like crisis happens, who's involved? Like you said, you've had roles in diverse, like leading a diversity, equity, inclusion group. I imagine you're at the table with senior leadership, maybe HR. Give me some perspective about who's really facilitating this discussion with both leadership and employees? There are many flavors to the way this conversation can go. And I would say it's, it's about uh, spheres of influence. So first and foremost, 
your CHRO or your head of people can be the one that is facilitating the main conversation and is coaching your CEO and executive leaders on how they should approach the conversation. Kind of taking a, we put this in a sports analogy, they're the coach, they're the Phil Jackson. They're saying, hey, here are all my star players. I need to make sure that they're ready to go out and address this crisis. And then you have your executive leaders. And I always recommend that your executive leaders bring their direct managers to a conversation, an individual conversation with them so that they can understand how they might communicate this on the team level. The thing is, is that trust in an organization is hierarchical as much as we like to think that it isn't. You have a direct conversation with your manager almost every week, maybe every two weeks. Your team trusts your management. So equipping both executive leaders to equip their direct reports and direct reports to equip the folks, the individual contributors on the ground is a very, very important part of this conversation. So while I'm in the initial conversation and a head of HR is in the initial conversation to coach leaders, the leaders are in those next level conversations to make sure that their managers know exactly what they need to do and how they need to bring themselves so that they can go talk to their individual contributors. The flip side of what I typically see is maybe at an all hands or maybe at through an email maybe through a Slack message or Microsoft Teams, whatever you use, an executive leader, a VP or above, is sending a message saying, hey, we've heard about this. Here are the things that we are doing as a company, and here's how you can participate. And that's where it ends. I think when I talk to employees about what's lacking about that approach is that they don't know where their managers sit in this conversation. And while the support coming from executive leadership shows that the organization is thinking about this, an organization is much more than a VP or a CTO expressing their discontent with the crisis, right? It's about alignment across the board that you empower managers, ICs, anyone who is a cultural leader within your organization to have a platform to talk about and help mitigate this crisis. So I'll, going back to the George Floyd example, it took us a little bit of time, let's say a week, to formally address the death of George Floyd and the subsequent protests. And, you know, we almost, we were sweating under the timeline because at the end of the day, it was a really important moment. But it was more important to us that we, as a leadership team aligned, we brought in directors to understand how they were feeling and what they think that they need to do on the department level. And then we allowed them to have the time and space to go to their managers and have a conversation with their managers on how they can support employees on the team level. And having those three layers of support meant that addressing the crisis wasn't point in time. It wasn't one message, one email, one all hands. It was an ongoing conversation and employees knew that their managers were both aware and ready to have future conversations about this crisis. Because going back to George Floyd, George Floyd passed away. There were protests. There were responses to those protests within like a month. And then after that, employees still were expecting, well, what are you going to continue to do? Organization can kind of like, and I'm making this up, but resiliently respond to a crisis is by making sure that everyone who's considered a leader at the organization is well-equipped to address it together. So when you say who's at the table, I think the table starts small. And then it expands into maybe a banquet 
a banquet of folks who are approaching this crisis together. And then the organization can move in lockstep for days, weeks, and months to come. It seems like the most meaningful way to have that conversation with employees would be like a one-on-one. I know it doesn't scale, but it's to have an intimate conversation around like, what do you need from us? How is this impacting you? At least asking some of those questions. I mean, do you do you find that that's most effective for trying to align and be compassionate with, with employees with what they're going through? Yes, 100%. The kind of slow roll, non-scalable approach is the way that you show altruism and empathy over time. Empathy is not scalable. It's not something that you can just you know put into a software as a service and inject into your organization. It's something that folks have to spend time on and be willing to spend the time on so that folks don't feel like, yes, we did this donation campaign, or yes, we brought in this therapist one time. Over time, you want folks to make sure that there are multiple touch points so that they feel supported over the long term. Yeah. It seems to me that, I mean, crisis is happening all around us. You had the George Floyd incident, you got inflationary pressures, you've got, uh, I mean, we just, there was a shooting the other day. I mean, like this stuff is going on and on. And it's like, do you respond to every single one of these or do you continue the conversation inside of those one-on-ones that you'd have with your employees to make sure that you're keeping a pulse check on how they're feeling? I mean, because to respond to every single one of them seems exhausting. And I don't know what to do. Like as a senior leadership group, I'm sure you're sitting around thinking, how do we respond yet again to another horrific incident? And I don't know the answer to that. And I'm curious what you think. Yeah. And you bring up a really good point around how organizations think about crisis. To your point, crisis doesn't have to be George Floyd. It doesn't have to be layoffs, as we're seeing across the board. Crisis can be someone lost their baby. Crisis can be folks suffering in silence because they don't know whether they're going to be able to pay their next mortgage payment. Crisis to me looks different than crisis to you. So while empathy is not scalable, the framework for teaching both your managers and your peers and other individual contributors how to respond and notice crisis is scalable. And I think that's where the work of a chief people officer, a learning and development officer, and a diversity and inclusion person can come together in the sense that how do we make sure that before crisis happens, folks are trained and ready and understand it's their duty as a leader to check in with folks on a small scale, even if the organization on personal crisis social crisis, community crisis, rather than waiting for that large email to come out from the CEO referencing something that just happened in the news. Because to your point, those emails start to, and those Slack messages, what I had noticed, the first one is really great. Like, oh, I'm really glad that we approached this as a company. The second one is, oh, we're sending another email. The third one is, we're only sending an email, or we're only doing this and that. So it kind of goes back to that sphere of influence thing. It becomes a checkbox over time. So the approach to both managing crisis, mitigating crisis, and recognizing crisis should evolve as well, which is it's very important that senior leaders, of course, are involved in recognizing when tragedy happens. But it's more important that the folks that you work with on a day-to-day basis are informed, aware, and comfortable 
talking about something that might be a personal crisis to you. I don't identify as part of the queer community, the LGBTQIA plus community, but I can totally empathize with what happened in Dallas. I can totally empathize with what happened. And I should be ready, and I am ready, to reach out to someone I know on my team that identifies with that community. One, because I'm aware that they, they do, we have conversations about it. You know, as a human to human, I've had that conversation. And two, I know that it's a part of my duty as a manager to, even if my CEO isn't emailing about it, to spend that time with that person understanding how they're feeling. So really, you know, long-term, it's about empowering the folks who you know are leaders in your organization to individually respond to crisis. And if there needs to be a bigger effort, if you talk to multiple folks across the organization and they say, hey, I don't think that we did enough to support or to make ourselves aware about what's happening in Ukraine. And you hear this multiple times uh, as folks are having conversation. You then bubble that feedback up and perhaps you decide to respond to it as a company. There are obvious things that you got to respond to. Layoffs are one of them. Right? You can't just have every manager go and console their teams over layoffs that you just did. But there are times in which I've heard folks say, well, why didn't we respond to what happened in the elections? Why didn't we respond to you know, X, Y, and Z crisis? And I think in those moments, what I would ask myself as a leader is, why didn't I, why haven't I, or are my managers equipped to recognize and stay up to date of things that are happening and to recognize them on an individual level? which will probably have even a bigger impact on the folks that are affected by these crises than you know, a company-wide campaign around everything that happens. Right. That's a great point, the campaign, because I feel like many employers, I mean, honestly, right after the George Floyd incident, I felt like it was a PR campaign. There was a lot of employers that probably didn't know what to do. And they saw their competition sending out that fancy email that's like, sounds perfect. They got their PR team involved, their diversity, equity, inclusion team. They didn't do anything on the back end, blip service. And it doesn't feel authentic. It, there's no humanity in, in some of that. And I think employees long-term, they read into that. They see, oh, yet, yeah. yet another yeah. email campaign. At some point, employees are going to be fed up. What are we doing? It's like, well, what are we doing? And and I think that brings up a second good point, which is at the end of the day, going back to point in time, there's the original response to something that happens. It's George Floyd. But then there should be someone who owns over time consistent check-ins with the organization saying, hey, it's been a month since this happened. Are we doing enough? It's been three months since this happened. Are we doing enough? on your pulse survey that you put out every six months. How did we respond to this? And what could we be doing better? Because it shows that you didn't forget that the things that you said that you were going to do or the things that you said that you wanted to make sure that employees felt, you were checking in on. And employees aren't stupid. They, we notice things, but often we don't say it. And um, being proactive about, and being a little bit uh, paranoid about what your employees might be thinking of how you responded, especially to crisis, is healthy and should be something that you practice as a leadership team and as an HR team so that you can be even more both ready in the moment and two, consistent over time in responding and supporting moving forward. And I think one good example of this is I think over the pandemic and even a couple of years before the pandemic, you know, mental health has been a huge, huge, huge issue and challenge that has moved to kind of the forefront 
uh, employee benefits. And I think using mental health as a framework and how we've approached mental health as a framework for other crises is a really good way to make sure that you're responding in a very similar way. There are benefits like calm and uh, headspace that are now being offered. There's therapy being offered through companies that are specific to mental health. Um, now we're talking about making sure that they're mental health days for folks at organizations, making sure that every you know, six Fridays, people are taking time off for their mental health. And I think those are the type of things that show companies that you are systemically and structurally addressing a crisis. And there are check-ins for those things. How's your mental health? Are you feeling like you're burned out? And if we took that framework and applied it across the board to social things, to biological things like women's health and women's rights and things like that, I think we'd see that authenticity shine through rather than the point in time, I'm going to send an email, I'm going to send a text, I'm going to do a donation campaign to X, Y, and Z thing. Because again, these crises aren't a once in a blue moon event. They are the start of a new way of life. And as a company, you have to be willing to address those. A recent guest, we were talking about diversity, equity, inclusion. She said something that was so, I thought, powerful in that space. I think it applies to the crisis conversation that we're having too. She said, if you're not uncomfortable in the conversation, you're not doing it right. And I think it's so true. Like we, we try to perfect the communication. We try to be perfect, but we're human. At the end of the day, we've got people working for our organizations. We're not going to get it right. But to have the conversation and to open up the doors so we can all row in the same direction as an organization and do the right thing, I think that's what's important. And it's uncomfortable, no doubt. Yep, yep. Because how uncomfortable is it for someone who's affected by you know, the death of George Floyd to bring that up to someone who they may not think or may not know whether they're aware. So meeting that discomfort is really, really important. And um, I, I love that quote. Last thing, and then I'll let you go. If we're going to prepare our leaders to respond to crisis, which is going to happen again, you know, we've run through challenging times, both internally in our organizations and externally. What are a couple of things that you'd prepare them with? Give them the tools to be able to have these conversations. There's a little bit of pre-work that I'd say, which is get to know your employees on a personal level so that you can really gauge how a crisis, no matter what it is, might affect them. And, you know, that seems very obvious, but I also think that when it comes to, you know, we're all trying to work hard. We're all trying to make our organizations better. And sometimes the human element gets lost in translation. So really just get to know your employees so that you can understand a little bit better and be proactive about understanding when a crisis is going to affect them. The second piece goes back to the quote that you just said is, be willing to be uncomfortable. I think vulnerability is the number one leadership trait, which creates more psychological safety. Going in to a conversation and opening it with it, saying, I don't know. I don't know, you know, this shooting that just happened at a queer nightclub or bar. I don't know how this affects folks who are part of the queer community, but I want to know. And if anyone here is willing to have that conversation with me, I would be so grateful so I can educate myself. And that vulnerability and that ability to be humble opens up so many different facets of conversations that you wouldn't have access to otherwise. The third piece is follow through. You know, if you say that you're going to do something for one crisis, then you have to be able to be willing to follow through on the other things that you know will happen across social strata, background, religion, so that you can make sure that everyone across your team 
and everyone across your department and your company feels feels equitable at the end of the day. So following through. And then that last piece is uh, what we talked about earlier is checking in. Check in two weeks after you've had that initial conversation. Check in a month after that initial conversation. And those check-ins will really prove to employees that you're not just checking a box. In fact, you truly care and you want to approach this like you would approach it with a best friend. One of my best friends, I'll go back to like losing a child. One of my best friends lost a child. I would, of course, check with him or her immediately afterwards. But I would probably spend the next, you know, however long that they need, checking in periodically to make sure that they were okay or that there's something that I could do to make sure that they were at least managing the feelings that they had after that crisis. And doing those four things, at the very least, I think is a really good framework to teach managers, to teach directors, and folks all the way to the top. I think the thing I want to point out is like, as a CEO, you don't have to check in with every single employee. Check in with the folks that you have the day-to-day with and make sure that they're checking in with the folks that they have the day-to-day with. And that's how you kind of create that scale over time. Because no one expects the CEO to call up a random person in sales and say, how do you feel about George Floyd? That, in fact, is very inauthentic. But what we expect a CEO to do is create an organization where the folks who I directly work with are at least acknowledging that this happened in a way that's empathetic, that shows that they're aware, and that they're willing to, if something needs to be laddered up to the CEO, share that feedback. I just ranted for about five minutes on that. So I, I hope that that had the brevity needed to, <laughs> to make it on the pod. <laughs> you, you packaged it up perfectly at the end there. Might be a blog post in there uh, as well. Aubrey, this, is, this has been such a meaningful discussion. I so thankful for you to come on the show. Uh, where can people learn more? I don't know if you have social media platforms you, you like to connect with people on, but uh, where do you want to point people to? Yes. So um, LinkedIn and Twitter, although we don't know if Twitter is going to exist uh, in, the, in the next <laughs> couple of months. Um, Twitter, it's Albrey Brown, A-L-B-R-E-Y, Brown is in the color. And then LinkedIn as well, A-L-B-R-E-Y, Brown is in the color. And uh, feel free to slide in the DMs, send me a message, and I'm happy to chat. Thank you, Brandon. This has been awesome. My guest today has been Albrey Brown. Thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate you. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the guest's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of Zenium HR or the host, Brandon Laws. The material and information presented on Transform Your Workplace is for general information and educational purposes only. Zenium HR or the host, Brandon Laws, does not necessarily endorse any guest, their business, or any organization they represent. Discretion is advised. Please work with a trusted advisor to find a custom approach that fits your organization's needs.